Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hi everyone, and welcome to an episode of Word Processing. I'm Andrew, one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel, and I'm joined with, who is it? It's got to be Josiah. He's here with me again. It's got to be me. It's got to be you most times. I mean, we do have some special guests lined up in the future. We got some all in the family stuff lined up for the summer as well. So Josiah, you and I will get a break from each other. At least you will get a break from me. (laughs) Let's face it. We won't have the microphones in front of our faces when we talk to each other next time. But Josiah, let's talk about last Sunday's sermon. We've kind of wrapped up a bit of a section here. We had Jesus's kind of formal entry into Jerusalem. He was rejected by the people for a couple weeks, a few chapters in Matthew, and now coming into Matthew, I believe chapter 23, we see now Jesus responding to that rejection. But can you kind of recap us specifically what happens in this chapter and and what we kind of got out of it? Yeah, you did a good job of setting the stage for it. It is this formal presentation of Christ. Now, he has been presenting himself all the way through Matthew's gospel, along with his forerunner. But there was a formal presentation as the king enters into his capital it's city. It's like kingly entrance. Very much. That. And fulfilling prophecy yes. and very royal, very messianic. And then we find a formal rejection. Now, again, while they have been rejecting him all along, this is the formal rejection in the capital city of Israel's representative leadership of their king. And then in chapter 23, Jesus turns around and responds in kind. He now formally rejects, even though chapter 12 and 13 had this rejection as the unpardonable sin was committed by that nation. And now Jesus is turning around and responding and rejecting them, saying there is no more hope. And what we had in chapter 23 is the first part where Jesus speaks to the crowds and to the disciples, his disciples specifically, and warns them of the hypocrisy of Israel's leadership that he's now rejecting. And then in the second part of that chapter, he turns and looks the leaders eyeball to eyeball and he says, woe to you. And there's this series of judgments, pronouncements upon them, not predictions of what is to come so much as this is coming. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And so it's again a bad news chapter. Like this whole section has been kind of heavy because there is this rejection, rejection, rejection. And here there is a finality to it with the judgments being pronounced. But we saw in their mistake, which was hypocrisy being highlighted time and time again, really unmistakably, probably, I think, just hypocrisy. In that, though, Jesus weaves in what I call the antidote to the poison of hypocrisy, which was humility. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting how much he is. You know, in previous parts, I think, especially even in Matthew, he's a little less, how do I say, like on the nose. You know, he's teaching in parables and and then it says like, oh, they knew the parable was about them and they realized it. But here it's just straight up. He, He is, he's calling them out directly and not even just alluding to like, you know, some people who are in leadership who reject me, but no, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, over and over. And it's it's direct and yeah. it's harsh. And part of the reason it's so serious, we need to remind ourselves, is because of their job description. Yeah. They're doing exactly the opposite of what they have been entrusted by God to do for God's people, to lead them in covenant faithfulness, to lead them and shepherd them toward righteousness. Well, they can't do that because they themselves are whitewashed tombs, as he calls them, that they are inside full of all uncleanness, while on the outside they're parading as paragons of godliness. So there's this hypocrisy. That's why the judgment is so severe on them, is partly because of their job description that they failed to do. And 
in turn, you could just take that same concept and say, that's why hypocrisy, I think, is so important for us to be aware of now in the church as well, because we all as believers have been given a job description as well. And when hypocrisy gets in the way and when that poison seeps in, it makes us considerably less effective at doing the job we're called to do. Well, you mentioned Josiah and the text shows us directly that hypocrisy tends to be characterized by oppression of other people, laying guilt kind of upon their shoulders, theatrics in many cases, kind of making this big presentation. I thought of immediately earlier in the book of Matthew when he calls out the Pharisees for fasting and praying publicly and groaning about how much they hurt because they're so holy in their fasts. Absolutely. And you can see again that this section we looked at, chapter 23, is not talking about anything new. Everything that he's accusing them of, there have been hints of it all the way through, like you picked up on. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah, that's totally true. Because I think, again, there, he, there's also this call out against their self-promotion yep. and the way they like to be called rabbi, like to take those terms for themselves. I think maybe this is just my perspective, but I find oftentimes it tends to be a lot easier to see those specific things, hypocrisy in general, but specifically theatrics, self-promotion, uh, oppression in other people. And it's maybe harder sometimes to notice it in ourselves. So if we are talking about the idea of being aware and being guarded against hypocrisy in our own lives and in, in the church then as well, maybe what are some red flags we should be looking out for? Or how do we find or spot the red flags or workings towards hypocrisy in our own lives when maybe it's harder to see sometimes? It's an important question, isn't it? I think I first want to start by saying and affirming that not all Christians are hypocrites. Sure. The fact that I profess that I want to follow Christ and then fail to do that hour by hour, day by day, does not make me a hypocrite necessarily. We want to see this as a spectrum. Like there is this, yeah, again, a spectrum, whereas the Pharisees and scribes in chapter 23 are at the apex. They are the perfect picture of hypocrisy, where they are saying and presenting one thing and have no interest. Not even trying. Not even trying internally. And so I I want to be careful to not slap the label, label of hypocrisy on every Christian. So if you're not perfect, you're now somehow a hypocrite. That's not what we're saying. Not at all. And that would be, again, a burden to carry. Sure. Now, there can be inconsistencies in our lives that need to be spotted, need to be pointed out, that can eventually lead to hypocrisy, I think, or can perhaps be small doses of hypocrisy. But I just wanted to clear the air there. I think that's a really important distinction as well. So how do we point it out in ourselves or how do we recognize it in ourselves, I guess, is the question, a very important one. Well, I think we all need outside perspective, Hmm. a set of eyes looking at us from the outside, because we looked at in the text that one of the places that hypocrisy leads is towards self-deception. And so if that's the case, then you're right. Like, how can I even tell that I'm being a hypocrite because I've deceived myself? And so I think what I'm doing is totally godly, totally consistent. And I need those outside sets of eyes pointing it out to me. And so that really leaves us with three things, God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. That's always what it comes back to. God's word. What do we know about God's word? Well, it's a mirror. We look in it. We see ourselves as we really are. I think we talked about that recently where it's a tool of condemnation or conviction, really, and not one of affirmation. That we look in the word and we say, wow, I am not measuring up as much as I want to maybe deceive myself into thinking I am. Mm -hmm. We need God's word, you know, speaking into our lives to see what maybe other people see that we are not ourselves seeing. We need God's spirit. One of the roles of the spirit of God in this age is to convict the world of sin. So we need the spirit of God. And if you're a believer, you have the spirit of God, but we can grieve the spirit. We can quench the spirit. We can shush the spirit. Ignore the spirit. Ignore the spirit. We need to be sensitive, have, have very soft hearts to the Lord. 
and allow him to convict us and allow that conscience to kind of lead us in those ways. So God's word and God's spirit. And then finally, God's people. We need to be around God's people who not only are close enough to see us in our inconsistencies or in our perhaps hypocrisy, but have permission or an avenue to rebuke us. Yeah. And by rebuke, I don't mean scolding and wagging a finger necessarily, but I mean coming up and asking questions about our inconsistency, about the difference between our confession and our actions. And so with those three things in place, by the way, three gifts from God for partially these reasons, God's word, God's spirit, and God's people, I think then we can start to see ourselves as God sees us and not through our self-deceived lenses that hypocrisy can bring. And I think it's so important that you brought up that earlier distinction that not every Christian is a hypocrite and it doesn't mean that you have to be living perfectly because I think there's also maybe this defensive misnomer that pops up if someone is calling you out or asking some questions, rebuking you a bit to immediately want to turn it on them and being like, well, you don't do this perfectly either, right? You're being a hypocrite in calling me a hypocrite. But that's not the picture we have of the church. It's flawed people seeking to run after Christ together to be more like him, acknowledging that this side of eternity, we are not going to get it right every time. In fact, we're going to fail many times. Yeah, that's, that's a great okay. point. Yeah, I feel that too. Like when you're rebuked by someone or someone comes and asks you a question about something you've done, wanting to shed light on perhaps an inconsistency, my knee-jerk reaction is to fire back. To think, Who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Do you think you're so perfect? But you're exactly right to say that is not the point. I should be able to hear that correction as what it is a loving conversation coming from a brother or sister in Christ that are concerned about me, my reputation, my health and my relation between the Lord and other people. They're concerned about the health of the church mm-hmm. and should see that for what it is. I don't need to shoot back. Are there ways that they're inconsistent? Maybe, but that's that's not the time to retaliate, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. Well, and even giving back to the part of this passage when he reminds them to heed the words of the Pharisees because they're actually still speaking yeah. some truth. The truth doesn't change whether the vessel is perfect or not. I remember even back in high school, the one time I was kind of interested in a sport for a bit of time, uh, I was really into badminton. Story. This is groundbreaking. Stuff. I know this yeah. is this is big. I was really into badminton for a while, and I tried out for the team for a number of years. And anyone who knows me will know that I'm not an athletic person at all. But after a while, while I didn't make the team, the coach allowed me to help him in coaching some of the younger students because he knew that. While I wasn't a great player because of my physical state, I knew the rules, I knew the techniques, I knew his coaching drills, I knew everything better than a lot of people did because I was trying to learn, I was trying to do better. And even though in my physical incapability, I still knew what was required and I still was able to be a good coach for people who needed to learn more technique or more rules or more drills or whatever it was. That's a great example. And for you in that state to call out instruction or encouragement or correction to these athletes who actually may be ahead of you in some ways Absolutely. is not hypocrisy. Totally. It's not hypocrisy. It's actually an act of love and encouragement and edification. It's the same thing in the body of Christ. It's yeah. I don't need to be able to do this to know that it's still what's right. And I mean, you and I deal with that all the time. The majority of our church congregation is older than both of us. And to assume that we have nothing to say or that we can't have anything to teach to some of the older people just because that we haven't lived that life lesson yet or we haven't fully figured this out. I mean, it would kind of erase the need for pastors, elders, teachers, if we took this to its logical conclusion. Well, especially when we understand that we ourselves are not teaching anything, that our authority only comes from the Word. Exactly. And a qualified handler of the Word honestly, a believer who is handling the word is capable of bringing 
divine eternal truth to a brother or sister in Christ. Mm, amen. You know, led by the Spirit of God. And so, again, right there we have all three of those working together. We have God's Spirit, God's Word, and God's people coming together to point out potential inconsistencies that can cause all sort of damage, which we saw on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that damage, you pointed out that hypocrisy leads to confusion for sure, and it can lead to self-deception and even apostasy in some cases, and it brings along with it guilt and judgment and self-condemnation. I mean, these are all serious, heavy, yeah. as you said, it's a, it's not a light chapter. These are serious terms for a serious problem. And so I know we're going to get there a little bit more when we talk about the antidote of humility, but how do we start moving towards rooting out hypocrisy in our own lives, in the lives of people around us, in the church. Let's maybe start, I guess, with our with our own lives. Sure. I think that I have, I have three off the top of my head, and maybe you can add some. First, we have to desire the opposite. Yeah. Like, it's That's useless. the big difference, right, with yeah. the Pharisees. That's useless. We have to desire the opposite of hypocrisy. If we don't desire that, then what's the point of any of this? We have to desire a life like Christ's, a life of integrity, which is really the opposite of a life of hypocrisy. Um, Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. We want to desire lives of integrity. And this desire comes through a full and growing understanding of the grace of God, I think. So how do we desire, how do we grow in our passion for being the opposite of hypocrites? Well, we desire to experience and to show off the grace of God. So let me read a section here from Titus chapter 2. Titus is a young pastor that Paul is mentoring and encouraging. And he says this to Titus in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So basically bookending those instructions to live godly, consistent lives of integrity is God's grace, the coming of the Lord and all he's given us. And that inspires us and throws us forward to live lives characterized by godly living good deeds as he characterizes them there. So long way of saying we need to cultivate in our hearts a desire for the opposite of hypocrisy. And we can do that by meditating on God's grace as he has poured it out upon us in the past, present, and the future. So that was the first one, was this idea that we need to desire the opposite. The second is kind of piggybacking on what we said earlier, that we want to expose and submit ourselves to God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. So how do we move forward in these things? Well, we need to desire the opposite, and then we need to submit ourselves to the tools that God has given us. And we've talked about submission recently. Uh, that is a hard thing to do, but very necessary if we're going to grow in humility and away from hypocrisy. And third, we need to be aware of the cautionary tales around us. There is hypocrisy all around us. We see it. The news, the internet is shoving it in our faces at times. We can't get away from those stories. I want to see those things. I don't want to bury my head in the sand and ignore tales of hypocrisy. But when I see them, I want to pray for them, be grieved by it. But then I want to also learn from them view them as a warning sign that they can be. That if not by the grace of God, there I go as well. And we learned a couple of weeks ago from 1 Corinthians, we were reminded in 1 Corinthians 10, how speaking of Israel of old, it says these things were written for our instruction. I think the same thing. We look around this world, we see examples of hypocrisy, and we are grieved by them, especially in brothers and sisters in Christ. And we use them as cautionary tales to, again, check ourselves and say, okay, am I submitting to God's word, God's spirit, and God's people? 
And am I really growing in my desire for the opposite? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, these all seem like essential pieces to the puzzle that is rooting out hypocrisy. And kind of no-brainers, right? Like yeah. nothing, none of this I mean, is it makes surprising. Sense. Yeah. And it kind of paves the way, which then kind of leads to, you know, the next question, which is we know that humility is the antidote. And I feel like humility and humbleness is a word that comes up a lot in the church. And we all know it's a great thing. We know like the humbled will be exalted. But sometimes I feel like we can struggle to understand what that actually looks like to put that into practice. And I feel like all those things you were just talking about pave the way for us to understand it maybe a bit better. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about actively being humble because as I think we've talked about on this podcast and definitely you and I together, humility is not just self-deprecation or pretending that you suck or you're a terrible person, but there's so much more to it than that. So how do we actually grow in our humility? Like we've said, actually self-deprecation is just a form of pride, to be honest. There's self-aggrandizement, self-deprecation, both of which have self at the middle. It's been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. I totally stole that on Sunday in the youth class. Yeah. Did you? Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We're on the same wavelength. Oh, yeah. We spent a lot of time together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we want to be free from the burden of having to worry about ourselves and our image and our whatever all the time. Instead, we want to be filled with thoughts of Christ and things above, as we're called to do in Scripture. Yeah. Oh, so it's that simple. <laughs> well, I, I can give you personal strategies, things that I've done, because this is a battle for me. You know, mm -hmm. it's a battle to stay for on. all of us, right? Probably. I hope so. I kind of went out on a limb there. <laughs> <laughs> I will join you on the <laughs> sinking <you>. ship. <laughs> Thank you. You know, to, to try to walk this line between, I do want to be consistent, a person of integrity. And I also see in my life the potential to be less than that. And so some things that I've collected over the years that I try to do that help me at least be alerted to some inconsistencies in my life and try to remain humble. I'll just give you five things that I, I try to do consistently. And a lot of it is just asking for help. Yeah. A lot of it is just asking God for help. So first, I ask for help in my thought life. I ask God for help in my thought life. Lord, keep my mind on things above, good things, wholesome things. And I want to fill my heart and mind with not the things of the world, but the things that are pleasing to God. Garbage in, garbage out. So I'm asking for God to help me with my thought life. I know that this battle begins with my mind. And so I need God's help for that. I need him to steal my mind. I need him to help me guard my mind. And that's kind of where it starts for me. So I literally, I ask for help. Yeah. So oftentimes on a daily basis, Lord, as I get out of bed today, guard my mind. Yeah. There are going to be moments of this day where my defenses are down. You know, where I am bored, I'm lonely, I'm angry, I'm tired, whatever the case may be that makes me more vulnerable, Lord, I need your help in those moments. So I'm going to ask him for help with my mind. I ask him for help in my prayer life, to be honest. We know from Romans 8 that the Spirit will pray for us when we lack the strength to do that. I make it a habit of asking him to do that. Before time in prayer, I say, Lord, help me pray right now. Help me pray according to your will. Bring things to mind that I need to lift before you. Uh, I need your help even to pray. And that's a humbling for me, at least, it's a humbling request. To say, yeah. The one thing I feel like I can offer to God is my my confession and my my prayers. And then to say, Lord, I'm going to ask for your help to even do this small yeah. task is kind of humbling. Thirdly, I ask for help before my public life. So those other ones are kind of before my private life, but these are before my public life. So I know that I have a quick tongue and can say stupid things that can be deemed as hypocrisy right? That you say you believe these things, but what you just said or how you said that kind of seems inconsistent. And so before a meeting, before, uh, well, we pray before this podcast recording yep. as well, before I go to teach or something, I'm always asking the Lord, Lord, tether my tongue. Yep. I don't have the energy to everything I say, stop. And we don't have time. Every time I stop, 
I have to say, okay, Lord, is what I'm about to say honoring to you? At some point, I've just, just got to let the tongue go. Um, but I'm going to pray beforehand, Lord, I need your help to tether my tongue. So I don't do more harm to your name than I would otherwise. Bring to mind the things I need to say, take away from my mind the things that I shouldn't. Exactly. Yep. And then the other half of that is I actually seek to learn from the failures of my public life. Sure. So oftentimes after I leave a meeting or after I leave the pulpit or after I leave, there's a, a time of mourning, <laughs> to say it that way, <laughs> where I kind of replay in my head things I said that I shouldn't have said, things I should have said that I didn't say. And there's a time of repentance for me mm -hmm. between me and the Lord and just say, Lord, ah, oh, I cannot believe I said that. I shouldn't have said it like that. I should have said more there. And I have to go before the Lord and just say, Lord, redeem that nonsense. Uh, forgive me for where I strayed. And I use it as hopefully a learning experience, like those cautionary tales that we were talking about before. I use my life as those also. And then finally, and this, I hope everyone who's listening does this. I need to remind myself of the gospel often, multiple times a day, that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I want to fill my mind with thoughts afresh of the grace of God he's poured out upon me that I don't deserve any of it and it's only by humbly trusting him that I have inherited all of these wonderful blessings and when I do those things I'm asking for help constantly I'm examining the sometimes the cesspool of my life my public life and asking for repentance knowing that I I get forgiveness and then I'm reminding myself of the gospel myself of the gospel I feel like that has helped me walk away from hypocrisy a little bit more and toward a life of humility that pleases God. That was a lot. I know maybe you have things you'd add to that or corrections. No, I think that's super helpful because I think the big danger here is if we try and approach the idea of humility in our own strength or by our own means, we are going to end up just like the people in this text. That was part of the problem is they they were trying, you know, in some ways to to find this godliness and yet what they were oozing was hypocrisy because they were trying to do it in their own strength it was a false humility it was a false humbleness you know when they're praying in the street corners when they're fasting when they're asking to be called by their titles and reveling in it wanting the the vip seating and i think that's that's the the danger for us as well is to have this false humility where we you know someone gives us a compliment and we oh you know it wasn't me it was all it was all god and then but inside we're like man mm -hmm. man i nailed it look at yeah, me yeah. and i don't want that <laughs> i don't know how not to do that in my own strength other than doing exactly what you're saying which is i mean the big takeaway that i'm taking from what you just said in that list is we need to rely on god for the strength to do this we need to be more like christ we need to keep him in our sights at all times as the example of perfect humility who humbled himself to earth who humbled himself to the cross on our behalf and that is what it looks like it's it's sacrificial it's subservient it's a, a willingness to to give up of self yeah not only does christ provide us the strength to do this without him we cannot even see ourselves rightly that's the big thing i think when it comes to humility is i want to see myself rightly i don't want to see myself more lowly than god has pronounced me to be i'm a fellow heir with christ in Christ, I am more than I understand. But at the same time, I don't want to swing the pendulum to the other side and start kind of a holy swagger and understand that I'm better than I am. No, no. I'm in Christ only because I was a sinner and he died for me and redeemed me. So the gospel, as I think we talked about on Sunday, has this equalizing effect. It elevates those who are too humble and too lowly. Not too humble. Too down on themselves. Down on themselves. You know, yeah. they, they hate themselves. There's some 
unhelpful, sinful self-loathing. Yep. The gospel elevates those people, picks Made them in up. God's image, Absolutely. loved by Christ. Yep. But then those of us who struggle with pride and thinking that God got a good deal with us and that, that he, it required less of his grace for me than for that person over there, the gospel has this humbling effect as well where it pushes us back down into our proper spot. So not only does God provide us the strength to walk in humility and avoid hypocrisy, but he actually gives us the right view of ourselves that's necessary to walk this road also. Mm-hmm. Josiah, I think this is another great podcast to end with prayer today because this is obviously a huge issue within our individual lives, within the church as well. And it's a poison. You described it rightly. I love that illustration that it's something that can go unseen or unnoticed, but it is deadly. Um, So I wondered if you would just pray for us as individual listeners, as our congregation, as a church, uh, for protection, wisdom, eyes to see, and the strength to embrace humility today. Heavenly Father, you are great and we are not. And we need your help to remember that. Father, that we have everything because we're in Christ, and yet without Christ, we are nothing. So we're asking for your help today as individuals, as families, and as a church family. We're asking for your help to avoid hypocrisy, avoid all the damage that comes with it, and instead walk with right humility before you. And we expect and anticipate all the blessings that come with that. And we look forward to it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.